let's take a look at 2 Samuel chapter 5. Uh, we are now embarking on a little uh, sermon series within a sermon series on King David. Uh, last week, uh, thank you, a lot of you encouraged me on just how, how the word was really speaking to you. Uh, we were laying down the background of David's life. Essentially, we were saying that in order to be king, David first had to learn how to write a song. Right. And he had to live in the cave. He had to live down in An Gedi, writing the Psalms, right? We were talking about like what it was like and what it must have been like being all alone in that situation. And so now what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the second stage of David's life. The second stage of David's life uh, is essentially a man uh, who's going to unify the tribes of Israel and eventually become the king. Okay? And so that's where we're at today uh, in, in terms of our sermon series. So let's take a look. At 2 Samuel chapter 5, 1 through 3. And it says, Then came all the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebron, and spoke, saying, Behold, we are the bone of your flesh. And also a time passed when Saul was king over us. You were the one that led us and brought us into Israel. And the Lord said to of you, You shall feed my people Israel, and you shall be a captain over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king King David in Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. All right, David is finally made king over Israel. Let me go to our first slide, and let's see what's going on here. Uh, it isn't so simple that Saul, the king before David, is killed, uh, and then David just walks into his anointing. Uh, it doesn't quite happen that way. Uh, for those of us that are trying or wanting to be a man or a woman after God's own heart, as it says in King David in Acts and also 1 Samuel. Here, a politician thinks of the next election. A statesman thinks of the next generation. Essentially, King David is a politician. Yeah, he's a shepherd boy. Yeah, he's a warrior. Yeah, he's a king. But he essentially, he is, I don't even want to say a politician because of this definition. He's a statesman. He's someone in political power. And here he is, the boy that was a shepherd of a tribe by the name of Judah, who's down in the south, down in the desert, more or less. And now he's called to be one who's going to bring everyone together. <laughs> Trying to bring people from the north, the south, the east, and the west, the different tribes together. <clears throat> Many people will call him a politician, but a politician I don't think is what he was. Politician essentially largely is thinking about now it's thinking about an election. Someone who is a statesman believes in the next generation. There's a difference between someone who's looking for political gain and those that are looking for true statesmanship and the longevity of a people. Yeah. What makes King David stand out is that fine, political temptations come his way, but he pushes it aside. He's like, no, I'm standing in the gap for the nation of Israel to be exalted. In future generations. Uh, and so that's what's going on with him. And so if we go to the next slide. Let's take a look at really what's been going on in the development of this statesman. Okay? Uh, at the age of 17, uh, scholars are agreeing that somewhere around then, uh, God is going to anoint uh, King David, or make David, uh, sorry, anoint David king. That's essentially a little, like, a little bit after, around the time of, of Goliath. It's around 17 years of age. He receives the prophetic word from Samuel. You are to be anointed king over Israel. 
And that's when we see all the trials, difficulties, the fires of life, the tribulations come. Now, he has to wait to the age of 30. And finally, at the age of 30, scholars believe King Saul dies, and David is now proclaimed king over Judah. Judah, not all of Israel. Judah is one tribe. He has been anointed king over all of Israel, but at the age of 30, after King Saul dies, only the tribe of Judah says and proclaims that he is the king. All the other king, all the other tribes, well, they have different ideas about David. Seven and a half years go by, you theologians out there, you know, you need to study the older covenant to understand the newer covenant. Seven and a half years of tribulation for David should ring a bell to the seven and a half years of tribulation in the book of Revelation. Seven and a half years go by when David has been anointed king, but has not been proclaimed, has not been proclaimed king. Finally, at the age of 37, he's going to receive it, which we just read, 2 Samuel chapter 5. But we can't just say, oh yeah, seven and a half years go by, that's that. There's a lot that's happening, and a lot to learn in that seven and a half year period. The first thing is the difference between anointing and proclamation. Uh, many of us in our lives, in the church, uh, we're looking to be proclaimed something. You have maybe received an anointing for worship, anointing for prayer, anointing for something. We all have. Uh, but look, so a lot of times the anointing for a position comes before the proclamation of that position. And in that seven and a half years, or 30 years, or 50 years, there may in fact be time where you need to learn the heart of the Father and learn certain foundational principles for what he has for you Amen. before you receive yeah. the proclamation. That's right. See, children look for the proclamation. Sons and daughters understand the anointing. The mm. proclamation will come. Mm. We have a lot of little babies in the large church of the world who are looking for titles and are looking for proclamations. They don't understand the principle of the Bible, the principle of sonship. You are anointed sons and we grow into that proclamation. That's right. So, here we go, right? David is anointed, but he has to wait. In the waiting, things happen. Okay? One, he is learning on what it means to be after God's own heart, which we were studying last week. And two, the other thing that's happening is learning about what it means to honor authority. This is something that many people do not like to do. Saul is David's father-in-law and is also anointed king. And David knows that he is anointed king. Saul is trying to kill David time after time after again. And David had ample opportunity to take Saul's life, but he refuses to because he does not want to set his hand on God's anointing. So David is learning the principle of honoring those that are in authority over you. You may have an anointing on your life, but the Lord is not going to take you to the next place until you learn the element of, of submission or really honoring to authority in your life. Whether it's a job, whether it's in ministry, whether it's in your family, have sons and daughters been able to honor and, and, and submit to their parents? Have wives been able to submit to their husbands? Have husbands been able to love their wives as Messiah loves his body? So we may not be walking in a proclamation that we have in our lives uh, if we have not learned that principle. 
very, very important principle in the kingdom. Well, this is all going on for a long time, and what does David know that actually is going to be able to sustain him over this difficult time? One thing that he knows is that God, in fact, anointed him king over Israel. He knows that. The prophet Samuel came to him short. David's probably like trembling in the electricity of the Holy Ghost. Mm. And right after that, that's when he goes after Goliath. So he knows, he feels the anointing of God. Mm. So through the difficult times of waiting for the proclamation to be manifest from the anointing, he knows things. God has, in fact, anointed me for this purpose. Mm. The second thing that he knows is that God's hand is over the whole nation of Israel. He knows that God has taken Israel out of slavery from Egyptian times. He saved them. He's brought them to the land of Canaan. He's made a nation out of them because he's placing his hand over them to be a light unto all of the nations. He knows that from the scriptures. And the third thing he knows is that his God is a covenant-keeping God. And that although 13 years are going by, seven and a half, where it's like, what the heck? I mean, the first like seven, he's like, I get it, Saul's still alive. Now Saul dies, God has got me in time. He's like, nope, still gotta wait. <laughs> Through that difficult time, he is learning the principles of honoring authority, understanding that God has placed an anointing on his life, that Israel has been called to be a light unto all the nations. And that even though he does not see the manifestation of the covenant of God, he knows that God must, 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 must be a faithful, promise-keeping covenant God. That's right. Thank you for the amen. We do a life in here, man. Yes. After that worship, like it's like... Yes. Yeah. All right, so how does this relate to you? It's the same principle of David. You may be going through a difficult time. In fact, you may have been anointed for something in your life. And you haven't seen the manifestation of it yet. You've got to hold off. It's all right, man. Hold and learn the ways that the Lord may be teaching you. Mm. Mm. <clears throat> but the fact of the matter is, just like David, you have been anointed. You have not been anointed by a prophet. You've been anointed by the Spirit of the living God. Right. So talk about the levels of anointing that should be on your life. Rather, we rephrase that. The anointing that is on your life. That's right. That's right. But now we just have to step into the proclamation of it. Yes. We've all been anointed sons and daughters, priests of the Most High God. You were anointed to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. Mm. That's it. You were anointed, yes, just say it. And as you say it more and more, you start to believe it. Yes. You were anointed to put your hands on the sick and see them healed. That's right. That's right. You were anointed right. to go to Lazarus' tomb and said, Arise and get up from death. Amen. Yes, yes right. spiritual death, but let's get all Pentecostal here. Physical death, That's too. That's right. That's right. As Yeshua said to the little girl, Talita Kumi, little one, arise. Mm. We are called to the same thing. Amen. That's right. Mm. We have been called and anointed to change our families because of the Spirit of God inside of us, to change our workplaces, to change the communities we live in. Now, we may not see the exact proclamation on us, but it's coming. It's coming, but you got to be like David and you got to hold on. You got to say, all right, Lord, you're teaching me things. And one of the things he's teaching is honoring your thought. That's true, yeah. 
Yeah. I'm believing in the long term, in faith, that God is a covenant-keeping God. Amen. The body of Messiah, the church in America, the congregations of the world, ecclesia, the kehillah, whatever you want to call it, the body, the bride of Messiah, has the same anointing. They've been called to be a light, just like Israel has been called and is called today, even in the modern day, to be a light unto all the world. The bride of Messiah that we get to join we also have to obviously believe that God is a covenant-keeping God. Amen. Yes, He is. All right, so we go to the next slide. So there's something that creeps into the church, uh, and something that actually creeps into geopolitics in the world. It's called tribalism. The same thing that David was faced. Tribalism now, the state or fact of being organized into tribal tribes. The behavior and attitudes that stem from strong loyalty to one's own tribe or social group. So that now, the state of fact of being organized in the tribe is just maybe just a human condition. But now we get to the third one, right? The behavior and attitudes that stem from strong loyalty to one's own tribe or social group. We go to the next slide and see what I'm getting at. What's happening here is Israel is in the midst of all this. They've secluded themselves and made their own tribes. Twelve tribes, really the thirteenth tribe would be Levi. But the twelve tribes plus Levi, they all have their own little sections. David has been proclaimed king over Judah. But all the other tribes are like, no, we have our own people. We have our own politicians. We have our own kings. What happens here is both in the spiritual and also the physical days of old and also the same today, is that there are people, there are kingdoms, there are churches, there are individual people who still have a tribal mentality. I'm doing my own thing on my own authority. Wow. And there's a disunity. What I mean by that is, come on, anyone who's been around, you know that there is the, you know, you can go to the Hispanic church, you can go to the white church, you can go to the black church, you can go to the church that believes in the speaking of tongues, the church that does not believe in the speaking of tongues. You can go to the church that is of the upper socioeconomic echelon, 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 and you can go to the one of the lower socioeconomic. You have one that follows this mega church pastor and this one who follows that mega church pastor. And I'm not saying all the time, but often I've been around in this thing enough to see that many of those places begin to create a tribal mentality. It creates a mentality of us versus them. Oh, they, they, they're our brothers and sisters, but you know, they don't have the same level of revelation as we do. Mm -hmm. And so then therefore, by default, we're better than them. Yeah. <laughs> Look, anyone who's been around, uh, you know, they're not as good as us because you know, they don't have as big as a church. So, you know, the Lord obviously is pouring so much financial blessings in church A, and church B does not have that. It just shows that the Lord really likes our church and is pleased with us. And then therefore, if you're not in check, you can say, woo, that must mean that, well, the other is not as good. All right, Holy Spirit, we're still here today, it's so awesome. It is awesome. But we have to be mindful that we don't create a tribal mentality of us versus them. Come on, anyone who's been around long enough knows that there's probably no greater 
institution in America that is as 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 disunified as a church. Wow. I mean, pastors say all, all the time, yeah, Sunday morning is the most segregated time in America. Wow. There's more multiculturalism at school and in the workplace than in the church. Wow. Now, praise God, man. Let's just get, let's, oh, I'm feeling the Holy Spirit here. Hey, if you are uh, from the Philippines, raise your hand. There's one tribe. Go ahead. Stand up. We'll make it more dramatic. Stand up if you're from the Philippines. <laughs> Hallelujah. What happens if you're from the tribe of India? Come on, stand up. Tribe of India. The tribe of Spain or Puerto Rico, stand up. The tribe, or shall I say, the tribes, plural, of the African continent, stand on up. From the tribes of the Caribbean, stand on up. Tribes of Germany, stand on up. Tribes of England, Italy, Ireland, Scotland, France. Come on now. There's plenty of others. Have I missed anyone? I don't want to leave anyone out. Czech Republic. All right. Oh, Israel. Amen. Look at this, people. Every tribe, every tongue, man, is manifested in this little town of Bristol. Woo! That's awesome. Look at the diversity of the brothers and sisters in this place. We can sit down. It's awesome, man. But what we have here in ancient Israel, there is this disunity that's taking place. Now, this is a problem. This is seen in Israel back in the day. It's seen in people today. It's seen in the churches today. A tribal mentality of us versus them. I have it right. They don't have it right. My guy, at the pastor at my church, or the pastor I listen to all the time on TV... He's the real ultimate revelation of the Spirit of God. There's nothing more divisive than that. And it's so common. Come on, even Paul the Apostles. Come on, some of you say Paul, some of you say Apollos. But I say Jesus. Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. That's right. Amen. You're not a follower of Minister A or Minister B or Minister C. You are a follower of Jesus. That's right. Amen. Yes. And when you go to an Episcopal church, and you go to a Methodist church, and you go to whatever church outside of this denomination, they are your brothers and sisters. That's right. That Amen. have a different culture, maybe. Mm. But we're part of the same tribe. That's right. Amen. Amen? That's right. That's right. Jesus, you are the next slide, please. Spirit of God. Oh, man. Hmm. Now, unity is what David has to deal with. And unity is what a politician does not look for. Politicians we see today in the 21st century, they run off of disunity. Bipartisanship has died a long, long time ago in Congress. David is faced with the same problem. It's not Republicans and Democrats. It's the Ephraimites and the Judites versus the Benjamites. And they're all, ah, who's the one that's going to carve up more power and prestige? But a statesman takes a look at it and says, no, we need to unify. And I, I pray that in America, we need statesmen, not politicians. And in David's time, he's going to arise as a statesman. And what does a statesman bring? A statesman brings unity. Wow. And what is unity? 
Unity is simply put agreement with God. Wow. Unity is not just being unified with one another. Unity is when you unify and you you have unity with God's purposes. Yes. It's not enough just for Mary and I to be in unison and in worship. If we're both in unity, what God is doing here, bringing the anointing of the Holy Ghost in God's purposes, then we can walk in agreement. We walk in agreement, we walk in unity. We have a lot of people on planet Earth who are saved, but think too much of themselves to humble themselves and walk in agreement with God and with their brothers and sisters. We need unity, agreement with our brothers and sisters, and we need unity among the congregations, the churches of the world. Why? Why? Because unity brings revival. Yes. Yes, it does. Yes. Amen. When we agree with God, revival comes. Mm, yes. Now, you guys don't want to agree with God. I don't want to agree with God all the time because it's hard. Mm. Agreement with God just looks like whatever you want. Take it. Tell whatever you want. You can have. That's right. My right to be right, my justification, my ego, my everything, everything you, you, yeah. you realize is all of it. That's where the unity comes. And it doesn't matter what people are saying about you in different churches or what's going on. You're just like, well, yeah, I mean, I'm in agreement with God. It's going to be Bible. Wow. Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Yes. And then yes. it goes on to say, because it is there. Is likened unto the anointing oil that was placed on the priest Aaron. The anointing is in the unity. Let's go have unity all over. It's like the water of Mount Hermon that feeds the Jordan River, and it's in that place that God, God has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Which is eternal life. Being in unison with, with God. With our brothers. Alright, so you know, I'm, I'm saying all this. I know we're kind of doing a couple different things here. I'm just trying to obey the, 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 the Spirit of God. I was down in Texas a couple weeks ago to a conference. And I started thinking about these principles of unity with God, with this tribal kind of mentality. Uh, and the Lord just brought me to this with David. Uh, but uh, I, was, I was hanging out with this guy in this big church, like 700, 800, 900 people down in uh, Texas. I hope he's not listening to this. I doubt it. <laughs> but we're walking down the street, and he goes up to me, and he's like, so, uh, what's your church's vision? And like, mission state. And I'm like, oh. I'm like, oh. church guys like, what's your church's mission statement and the Holy Ghost just came on me and I was like well you see I imagine Texas is kind of like where we are I think it's kind of general all over the country there's usually like three or four churches in a given area where all the believers just kind of cycle around they'll go to one awesome church I'm not speaking negative Awesome church, anointed, great resources, all this kind of stuff. They go there, they get a little tired of it, and they move to the next one. And they go there, and then they do that for a little bit, and they move to the next one. And what happens here is it's like a circuit. 
They just go from different church to different church. I mean, look, they may they may spend like ten years in church A, and then they go to church B. That's very much similar. And so I looked at him, this mega church pastor. He's looking at me like, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to be in that rotation. I said, I, we're at like 50 people now. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, 100, 200, 300. I don't know. But I do know this. I don't want to sheep steal. I don't care if you right. come from another church, right. man. Yes. I want to see new believers baptized yes. in water, baptized yes. in fire. Those who are repentant hearts coming off the streets. Yes. That's how you build up a church. Yes. Not barring to one another. Yes. Amen. And I got the look like. <laughs> And he's like, all right. I said, you know what? Because it's just, it, I'm just not new to this, guys. I'm new to the institutional thing. If someone asks me what the vision of the church is, I'm like, um, it's kind of simple. We go to the next slide, please. And if you don't know this and you don't have it written down, uh, take a picture of it. I don't know. I don't know. I, I didn't think it had to be written down. I thought it was very simple. Uh, the vision of Bristol Assembly, I believe, with all attempted humility, should be the vision and the mission statement of every single church, every single family, and every single individual son and daughter of God. It's this. It's this. The full gospel. Oh, yes. That's right. What's your vision for the church? The full gospel? What's the full gospel? It's the good news. Gospel is just a Greek word essentially saying the good news. What's the good news? The good news is, man, I was blind, but now I see. I was saved, now I Yes. Yes. Next slide. But if you want to like pin a point down, you know, for these people, like what's the vision of our church? Here it is. Here it is. Number one. For the name of the Lord to be glorified upon all the earth. That is number one. That is beyond anything else. Every salvation, every healing, every restoration, yes. every worship yes. is supposed to glorify yes. God. Yes. Yes. That's what it's all about. We were born and created in the garden to just glorify the Father. Oh. Even Jesus says, I've come to glorify my Father. Mm. So simple. Okay, you know, we can have the children ministries that are going to develop. They're going to do all this kind of stuff. But come on, people, man. Yes. Keep it simple, simple, stupid, right? Keep it simple, silly. If you want to yes. Be, right? Kiss. Just keep it simple. The gospel is so simple. Oh. Repent. Yes. And be saved. And be healed. And have a life yes. That's right. Yes. It's not like a five-step program of the Restoration. It's saying, Jesus, I come before you, you are the Lord of my life. I want you to be glorified. Yes, yes, yes. Mm. You don't need a seminary degree for that. That's right. That's right. You don't have to be an eloquent speak for that. That's right. Mm. Repent. Be baptized. Be healed in Jesus' name. That's all. Amen. <laughs> Two. Repentance to salvation of new souls. Yes. Right? I mean, that's the way the Lord's being glorified. Three, complete healing of body, mind, and soul. Complete healing. Yes, healing from demonic diseases. Amen. Yes. Yes. Healing from demonic sicknesses. Mm. Healing from anxiety, depression, worry, healing, healing, 
restoration of families, oh, restoration of, yeah. of spouses, and, and hearts of fathers to sons, and sons oh, to fathers. Come on now. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And of course, the kingdom was sold. Now I say, I say there's probably a little less like oof in front of this mega church pastor. Yeah. It's like, alright. I'm like, and you know what? The only way, the only way we're gonna be able to do that is more than presence. Amen. Amen. Yes. That's all. That's all. It's not through Facebook advertising campaigns. Mm. It's not through bulletins. It's not through advertising. All those those things are cool. More than presence. Yes. Oh, I just more of the presence. Yes. And that's why we're going to delay worship if we have to. I'm not delaying. You know what I mean. Continue worship. We just, come. we just want the presence of the Lord. The presence is where there's life. Yes. And the presence is the anointing. It's a place where things are changed. Yes. And you're changing. You go out there and you change people's minds and attitudes, yes. man. Yes. That's how you do it. That's mm. how you do it. Amen. 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 Yes. Yes, Jesus. So take a picture of that. <laughs> now, all of this, the visionary church and tribalism, all this is really taught and understood uh, through this civil war that's taking place in Israel. There's a civil war. All the tribes are up against each other. David is assuming that he's going to be king, and the other tribes are rallying behind another king. But this civil war mentality can creep into you and also the church. It's the us-them versus mentality. It's the building up of my kingdom versus the kingdom of God. It's built into the hierarchy of things. Personally, it could be like I need to be better than my brother or sister in here. It's disunity. And disunity happens when we don't set aside on the true vision. For the name of the Lord to be glorified, not for this church to increase in numbers. For the presence of God to fall on all flesh. Jesus. Amen. 2 Samuel chapters 1 through 5, which you can read, Saul dies. And David assumes that he's going to be the king. But there's a problem. The problem is Saul has a son. And his son's name is Ishbotet. If you go to the next slide, Ishbotet is going to lead in opposition against David. Ishbotet means man of shame. Now what happens here is the war is going on for seven and a half years, fighting, 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 fighting. The tribes are dispersed. And finally, David's men are actually going to kill, after Saul dies a while back, he's going to kill. Um, David's men will kill um, Ishbotet, the son who's, who's going to be the king. David's response is unbelievable. He goes to the men that killed him and said, I did not command you to kill Saul's son. He gives him a reproof. He says, I could have killed Saul time and time and time again, but I would not put my hand against the Lord's anointing. Yeah. I honored him. Mm-hmm. That's why I love honoring people in this church. I love when it's, though, it's nothing against you if I didn't mention your name. It's just sometimes the Holy Spirit is like, oh man, thank you so much, Mario. Such an awesome worship leader. Mm, yes. You give up your time and your energy. Yes. Ah, Annabelle, so, so, so sweethearted and so good at organization, of organizing the board. Brian, man, father's heart that would bring in someone for a year mm. and love them and pour into them. Man, how beautiful. 
beautiful. See, when we honor people, the Spirit of God is there. Oh, the fishers, despite disease and difficulties, man, will I just honor you that you just go in and over and over and over again and do ministry and go to the nursing home and give communion and give worship. Ah, our ever faithful crew of ladies who have been here for decades thick and thin. They've been in probably the same seats, right? (laughs) But they come week in, week out. Believing that the Lord is going to do something. Oh, who honor people, the presence comes in. Oh, that's why I love doing it. I love doing it. Give us a cuckoo, so it's the Lord's anointed. I can't do that. Why are you killing his son? And you killed Ishmael while he was sleeping in bed. Like the most vulnerable place. You see, David looks at his enemy, Ishmael his enemy. And even his enemy, he wants to honor. A man who was born with the name Man of Shame, David does not tear him down even in death. He wants to lift him up. How dare you take out the Lord's anointing? I want to bless him. I want to raise him up. He actually takes his body and puts it to be buried in a respectable manner. You see, sons and daughters are not threatened. They're not threatened. They always, 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 hear me now, always, always, always lift up and encourage and never tear down. That's right. Amen. David's men did not know their identity as sons and daughters, so they tear down and kill a man. David's like, no, this is someone, he's one of our brothers. He's been anointed, or his father was anointed. Let's lift him up. So you know if someone is walking out in tribalism, if they tear down another believer. They tear down even the lost. They have succumbed to the spirit of tribalism. Even if someone does something wrong, you need to give them a rebuke. You always lift them up. That's the spirit of Messiah, lifting people up, not tearing people down. It's at this point in 2 Samuel 5 that the people see how David handles all this and have the worship team on That the people stop and they're like, whoa, look at this guy David and how he's running the show. Even the people that went up against him, he gives them respect, he gives them honor. He gives them when he's in the spirit of God. And the people start to rally behind him and they're like, all right. Then at that point, all of the tribes of Israel come to David. The other thing that is happening here, which I think is very profound, is that the name Ishmael means man of shame. When Ishmael is killed, shame is destroyed. When the shame in your own life is destroyed, you now will go out and honor people. You will lift people up. You will walk with right. right. If you're a shameful person, you have hurts and you have brokenness. That's when you compare yourself. That's when you lift yourself up. That's when you get ministries that just grow ministries that are not there to uplift only the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Right after there's a unity, what we see here is really the spirit of David. The heart of David. Before even, or even in addition to the the, the, the honoring and lifting up people, he brings unity to Israel.
Israel when he respects people, when he gives honor. But there's something else that the people rally behind. It's a fulfillment of prophecy. See, David was not just a king, wasn't just a statesman. He saw in the prophetic. He saw that Jerusalem was supposed to be raised up. He saw that Mount Zion was going to be the place where Messiah would come. And one of the first things he does after the tribes get unified, he takes the Ark of the Covenant and he says, let's bring it up the mountain. He takes the Ark from the Philistines and he, he, he takes the Ark back and says, no, the Spirit of God is Israel's. And he brings the Ark up into, uh, start climbing the mountains of Jerusalem. And when they get to Jerusalem, you see Jerusalem, the city itself was taken by the Jebusites. It was in the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was too weak and too afraid to take the holy city from the Jebusites. But in 2 Chronicles it says that God has said, Jerusalem shall have my name on it, and David and his descendants shall reign there forevermore. And David prophetically is like, what's going on? Just like life, is there not a cause in Israel? He said, is there not a cause? The Spirit of God has left Israel. Let's go get it. And they bring the ark back from the Philistines. And then he says, all right, now, who wants to go? Who wants to go into the well inside of Jerusalem? Who wants to climb up the well and take the city of God back to them? And they go. The people rally. Why do they rally? They rally because they see a statesman. They see a leader who says, you know what? It's not my kingdom. I want to see my God's name be glorified on earth. We need to set Jerusalem as a city upon a hill unto all the nations. It's a place that eventually Messiah is going to come and reign. It's a place that Abraham offered up a sacrifice for Isaac, but God came to provide a better sacrifice. It's the holy mountain where the Lord is going to reign. And the people are like, wow, that's a king. In closing, Psalm 27, this is where you get unity. This is where you get men and, and women who are statesmen, who are leaders. It's the heart of Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. And whom shall I be afraid? One thing. This is David. When he's been hunted by Saul, when he's been hunted by Ishbodet, when he's been hunted by the Philistines and the Jebusites. I'm sorry that this is going a little longer today. I just feel the Holy Ghost all over this Yeah, thing. yes. Oh! And he's in the cave. He's down by the waterfall. He's in the desert. He says, one thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temples. Verse 7, hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. When you said, seek my face, my heart said unto you, O Lord, I shall seek your face. When a people, when a tribe, step into agreement in true unity, that the one thing we want to see is the presence of God in our temples, in our lives, the unity will come. The people will come. There will be the fulfillment of the full gospel. When we say, Lord, one thing I want to see is your name glorified for the presence of God and your name manifest in my life and in my family and in my community, you will see the sick be healed. You'll see the dead rise. You'll see people returning unto God. It's in that place, and only that place, that the tribes of the earth, despite their cultures and their preferences, can come together in unity. Father, I pray, us as a church, 
you've ever torn down, if you've never truly honored other people in the ministry, Lord, we have repentant hearts before you right now. Lord, we pray as individuals, if we've said something negative about people, about our brothers and sisters, Lord, we come before you and we say, Lord, we want to be in unity. Those that are walking in shame, those that have difficulties in their life, we speak not down to them. We want to encourage them and honor them and raise them up above. Father, I pray right now that no one here in leadership or not in leadership will think that we are to build up our own kingdoms. But we'll just say we just want to see the kingdom made manifest. Whether we stay 50 people or become 500 people, it doesn't matter. We just want to see souls come into the kingdom. That's right. We want to see the That's full right. gospel released in Bristol. That's right. Released in Lower Bucks County. Released in all of Pennsylvania. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So one thing I ask, let our hearts be hearts that say, oh, I want to behold your beauty. I want to behold your beauty. And all else will come from that. Hide me not in the cleft of the rock, unlike Moses. I want to see you face to face. transformed into your image, Lord. Yes. We'll give you license. We'll give you license to root out all things inside of us. Everything that's got to go, let it go. Every idol that needs to be smashed, let it be smashed. Every high thought, every principality, let it come into submission to the Holy Ghost. Reform our minds to the minds and say, one thing, one thing I ask is not the size of my church, it's not the size of my bank account, it's not the size of my house. The one thing I ask is see your beauty and you choir of you in the Lord's temple. Yes. In Jesus' name. Jesus. Amen. Oh, Jesus. Have a wonderful week.